El futuro tiene nada más que la confrontación. Hey, welcome to Unpopular Opinion. I'm your host, Adam Todd Brown. I used to write a bunch of weekly columns for a bunch of internet places, and I would use those columns to put forth all sorts of crazy opinions. Then I'd come on this show to defend those opinions. But now I don't do anything at all. Joining me today, he is a fantastic writer who I have worked with for so many years. He is also my co-host on an Unpops Network podcast called In Broad Daylight, which you should be listening to right now. Ladies and gentlemen, Luis Prada, also joining me. Let's see if I can remember this verbatim. He is a fantastic writer who I have worked with for so many years. He's also my co-host on an Unpops Network podcast called In Broad Daylight, which you should absolutely be listening to. Ladies and gentlemen, Ian Forty. It's going to be a great show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Unpopular Opinion. I'm your host, Adam Todd Brown. Joining me as co-host today, my favorite co-host of all, no co-host, just the silence that comes with being locked down in one of the states handling the pandemic worse than any other. But I do have a couple of guests who are technically my co-hosts, just on a different podcast called In Broad Daylight, which you should be fucking listening to if you're not. Who wants to go first? Lewis. Oh, every yeah. time. I'm, I'm too fast. Too fast. Ian, you got you to gotta pick up your game, man. I ain't no quick draw. I mean, you're, you're playing in the big leagues now. Called up to the majors, main podcast. I'm playing it like Babe Ruth. I'm just calling my shots, taking my time, man. <laughs> that is Lewis Prada and Ian Forty, my co-hosts on In Broad Daylight, a politics and news podcast that we will be back to doing next week. Uh, cool. Yeah, sure. as this comes out next week, the podcast will be back. I had to take some fucking time off. I'm tired, but not anymore. We're back at it, and we have a fun topic today. I think that's a way to put it. it I think this will be a more lighthearted episode, despite the subject matter. We are talking about the shadiest goddamn television show on the air right now. And it's not on the air. It was on the air last year, but it just was added to Hulu. It's called 60 Days in Narco Land, and I want to t-shirt Canon this television show into the fucking sun <laughs> it is such a goddamn problem ian what did you think of 60 days in narco land well first of all i am on the edge of my seat because i didn't get to finish the series i think i'm seven episodes in i don't know if they solved the drug crisis in america yet they do actually spoiler alert shut down every cartel in mexico by the end of the series it's crazy amazing I, I suspect it was because of that one woman outside of the Chick-fil-A looking for a doobie. Those are her <laughs> words, not mine. Yeah, we'll get into it more, but I have never seen someone panic harder when asked how much drugs they want. <laughs> Lewis, did you, how many, did, were you able to watch this show? I, I, I only made it two episodes in. That's all you need. So I, you're gonna, you, I feel free to spoil as much as you want, because uh, I will likely never watch it again. But I think I got a pretty good gist of the show and what it's about and how 
um, I think more than anything, I learned the power of audio library music and how when you lay it on <laughs> real thick, you can make even the most non-eventful drug bust, quote unquote, seem like you're really taken down like Pablo Escobar. Man, justice for Lil Skinny. That's all I got to say. <laughs> God damn. The best scene in the seven episodes I watched, it was a, it was a quick, subtle shot and... Most people would overlook it, but there is a scene, an establishing shot where the camera focuses on a big spider web and some power lines. And then that music's like, bump, bump. Like, shit, yes. Nature itself is part of the cartel here. We are all doomed. I am so happy you brought that up because I noticed something along the exact same lines, which was, uh, I forget what the context was, but there was a dramatic scene, which is not dramatic at all, but the music lets you know it's extremely dramatic. And then for some reason, they cut to a shot of the sky and there's like a, a the like ducks flying in a V formation as the, yeah. dun, dun, the music hits. It was absurd. I rewound it like four times just trying to see if the ducks were involved in this somehow. I have so many questions about how this show even got made. It's it's one of the most horrifically irresponsible television shows ever made. <laughs> uh, to give yeah. just to give people a general rundown of what this show is. Imagine if Cops, the television show Cops, and Survivor, the television show, not the song, had a baby, and that baby should have been killed as soon as it was birthed, but instead it grew up to live a long and fruitful life as 60 Days in Narcoland. It's a show about the Bullock County Sheriff's Office, which we'll get to those motherfuckers in a second. Bullock County is in Kentucky, near the Louisville area, and it, it documents their attempts to patrol the I-65 corridor, which is a highway that stretches from the Great Lakes all the way to the Gulf of Mexico. So obviously a good place to drive drugs through the country. No one's disputing that. It's how most of our drugs get into the country, which is why building a border wall is such a bullshit idea. But there's also like that's that's not an unusual premise for a television show. And that's kind of what I thought I was going to get when I watched this was a documentary about actual drug cartels and police interacting with drug cartels and what you get instead is the police terrorizing the local poor people with the help of fucking reality show contestants for some reason <laughs> there are contestants on this police show why that blew my mind the minute i saw this i was like you're so we're just dumping reality show hopefuls into jails and poor communities to spy on people that seems safe and, and they're not they don't uh blend in well some of them <laughs> like <laughs> the, there's uh one of the main guys uh i want to say charlie is his name oh god charlie <laughs> i don't know i don't know his full story arc but where i left off uh is that uh he was in jail with a bunch of dudes who almost immediately catch on to the fact that he's a plant like instantaneously and i think uh what didn't help is the fact that if you were to ask a child to draw a modern day police officer they would draw charlie 
He looks just like the Punisher from the Netflix series. <laughs> he does. He has the buzz cut. He's got he's got the kind of muscle structure that only cops have. Yes. <laughs> and the face of Dave Batista a little bit. <laughs> Man. And they put him in a wing of the jail, which, yes, people listening at home, that is part of the premise of this show. They just drop a dude named Charlie into a wing of the Bullet County Jail or whatever the fuck the jail is called there. And it's clearly the wing for people with drug problems, but like violent drug problems. <laughs> like, not just, oh, that guy's probably going to snort a little heroin when he comes over, but he's fine otherwise. No, these are people who will get high and fucking murder you. And they drop Charlie in the middle of that, and he looks like a goddamn Olympic decathlete. Like, his, he's fucking built, his teeth are clean, like, nothing about him says anything other than cop. Yeah. His whole story arc on this show is just him starting by stepping on his own dick and then continuing to do it for the entire time he's there. I <laughs> Like, before he's even processed, he gets recognized by a guy he arrested once. That, so, I loved that. They're like, should we keep going? <laughs> <laughs> they're just in the, the drunk tank, they call it. And he's just sitting there trying to, you know, kill time until they give him a cell or whatever the hell. And there's a guy at the other end of the room. The whole room, the camera shot is from the corner. The entire room, it's like late at night. Everybody's asleep. Everybody's knocked out. Everybody's just laid out on the ground. Nobody is standing up except for one guy at the other end of the room just staring directly at Charlie. Clearly knows exactly who this man is. So they, they usher him out of that situation and they move him to his pod where he's also immediately recognized by someone who's like, I fucking know this guy. I've seen you somewhere. And he's like, no, man, I'm just, hello, fellow criminals. I'm just like you. His cover story was weak as shit, too. He's not a drug dealer or a drug user. He's just covering for his girlfriend. So clearly the criminals are just going to open right up to him now about their own sordid dealings with whatever cartel he thinks exists in Seapod. Yeah, we should, before we get deeper into these contestants, we should mention just how prevalent the use of the word cartel mm -hmm. is in this series, especially compared to how often you see anyone even remotely associated with a actual drug cartel, which is never. <laughs> they do mention a couple of people who may be Hispanic. They mention them. <laughs> they don't show them, but... Someone does know a Mexican guy. I swear I didn't see a Hispanic person until like episode six. Well, to be fair, the guy the guy who uh, identifies Charlie from across the room is Mexican, but they blur his <laughs> face, so you can't you can't tell anything. And he is just a blur off to the side. Of like the camera barely recognizes him, but you can still tell through body language that he's just staring daggers at Charlie. It's it's a really in intense moment like charlie's story arc is nothing but intense moments that were seconds away from getting him brutally beaten <laughs> yeah like i said i got to maybe episode seven and i'm still amazed that he's always on the precipice of a prison murder but it hasn't quite happened yet like they they knew in the second episode that he was a plant and then they conveniently forgot for three episodes <laughs> and then they're back on it again because he won't use a dirty needle with them <laughs> 
<laughs> so now they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, Charlie's a plant. That component of this show blows my mind. Like, where did they find? Because it's not just like these are a bunch of observe and report motherfuckers that they're sending into these communities. They're like not even disgraced cops. They're like disgraced <laughs> wannabe cops, like mm-hmm. people who got fired from their security guard job for smoking meth at work. And now they're like going into this community and it seems like they legitimately believe they're going into this community to take down a drug cartel. And what blows my mind about the cartel angle is they never once mention what cartel, like they have so much intelligence information gathered on the local drug dealers, but not once do they go, okay, well here are the cartels that are operating in this area. And We've done a lot of reconnaissance on that. Nope, just fucking asshole cops bothering poor people under the guise of fighting cartels. Yeah, cartels are definitely the, like the um, the Godot of like waiting for a Godot kind of like they never arrive. They're just talked about a lot. Uh, th- this is clearly what we're hunting for, but um, Mexican cartels are not like a, a lady with a messy house uh, who has like some heroin in there. And they're just like, cartel, cartel, cartel. And, <laughs> and it's just some white lady in an apartment, in like a shitty little apartment. And they just keep going, cartel, cartel, cartel. Yeah, it's they've created a boogeyman that they themselves have no idea how to find and will never. And that's one of my problems with this show is it's propaganda, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, this is for middle Americans who want to be whipped up into a frenzy about illegal immigration. That's basically who this is for. And especially at a time like this, I just, I cannot get behind entertainment of that nature. I felt the same way about the fucking Sicario sequel, which was about Mexican people smuggling terrorists into the United States. Like how fucking often does that happen? (laughs) Like I've never heard that. And now (laughs) millions of people are going to head to the box office and be scared to death over that fucking prospect. And this is the same thing. Like they just, throw around the word cartel when what they really mean is dude buying cocaine at the bar. That's not the same thing. Another thing that's really interesting is the police in question here, the Bullet County sheriffs. They are the focus of the show. They're the ones fighting the cartel in this series. But also this series premiered almost one year to the day after the Department of Justice issued a formal announcement that former Bullet County Sheriff's Deputy Michael Mattingly was sentenced to 36 months in prison for conspiring with cartel members to launder money and distribute methamphetamine. And their punishment as a department for that is they are now reality television stars. That seems right. <laughs> That's where you go. <laughs> it was a purely is a reality show about catching cartels that all started as a PR uh, makeover because they were caught working directly with the bad guys exactly yeah this is extreme cop makeover basically Mm -hmm. i feel like the show pays lip service to that for almost two minutes of screen time just so you know we're five guys we used to be six guys that guy went to jail on with the cartel busting (laughs) yeah because you know those other five cops had no idea what he was doing granted one of them also went on trial for aiding and abetting but he was acquitted so (laughs) everything's fine when they mention that in the series, I was like, what? <laughs> like, this this is not how this is supposed to play out. Like, I don't imagine the Minneapolis PD is going to have a reality show in a fucking year. 
That would be absurd, especially if it was one about policing police violence. Like, <laughs> this is them going through a scandal where they fucking conspire with drug cartels, and now they get to make a TV show about how tough they are on drug cartels. Fuck that. This show should be banished from the airwaves. <laughs> it, it often feels like there is they're putting in like the bare minimum amount of effort to find these cartels. Like my, one of my favorite scenes of the episode that I saw was I, I, she's the PI that um, I think her name is Jen. Jackie. Yeah. Jackie. Yeah. Or Jax. <laughs> she, uh, her whole deal. And like one, like one of her first missions or whatever is to like go find drugs. And uh, so she like goes to what I, I think is a checkers or a rallies. This is the South. It's a Jack in the box. I believe. <laughs> is it a Jack in the box? Yeah. <laughs> and she's just walking around basically shouting, does anybody have weed? <laughs> <laughs> it's the most, like, it's no subtlety to it whatsoever. Um, and, and I mean, first of all, just like Charlie, Jackie, uh, looks like a cop she has like permanent cop face yeah like if meth changes your face so does being a cop you just you can identify you in plain clothes from a mile away um but the, the best part was when she's she gets home that night from uh looking for drugs at the local jack-in-the-box and she gets hooked up with this guy who sells weed and then she in her confessional later back at her place she expresses her annoyance that all she did was find a low-level weed dealer at the jack-in-the-box like did you really <laughs> expect to shout give me drugs and then the cartel would be like right this way madam there's just Escobar sitting in his fucking Supra in the parking lot eating some fries with a big old kilo of heroin on the seat next to him. That's what she was looking for. Um, she just misspoke and said doobie. And then, you know, she went down the wrong path. I can't believe she used that word. That's awesome. She's like, I thought dad. she was going to get shot right there on the spot. <laughs> because when the guy was like, how much, like, she's so vociferous about wanting weed and then the guy she finally <laughs> finds someone and the guy's like well how much weed do you want she goes uh i, I, I just want a doobie man <laughs> it's like what what Did you just blow some in my face that's all i'm looking for <laughs> it's insane and yeah she's probably the craziest character because she's got oh, yeah. this sort of bumbling partner named richie <laughs> And the first time they go undercover together, which is the phrase she always uses, she says undercover and investigation all the time. Mission. Lots the, of missions. The first time they, yeah, mission. The first time <laughs> they embark on a mission, they go to this bar and she asks someone about drugs and apparently Richie looked at her and winked. <laughs> <laughs> so she quit fucking with Richie and then he just like partied with a guy at his apartment the rest of the time and was like, I'm getting close. Yeah. <laughs> Richie's contribution is watching other people ruin their lives in his living room. People are just doing coke and heroin in front of him for about four episodes. And that's about it. Yeah. There are two participants, which is what they call the, the reality show contestants on this cop drama. Uh, there are two of them that seem to have their hearts mostly in the right place, which are the, the two who are focused on recovery and like what is available to people who are addicted to drugs once they get out of jail. And at one point, one of them comes over to Richie's apartment and Richie's like, yeah, man, I had two girls here last night doing meth. And the, 
the other dude is just flabbergasted. <laughs> He's like, you are a recovering drug addict. Do you think that's the right thing? And Richie's just like, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> but even then, one of those two, the, the the woman half of the recovery team, near the end of the episode, one of the, the inmates she'd been working with was like, hey, do you want to be my sponsor? And the woman's like, yep. I'm like, you are, she doesn't even know your real name yet. You have a big bridge to cross before she can trust you to be her sponsor. It's fucking nuts. And then uh, there's also Jen, who mysteriously just says she used to be a reporter. And they, they drop her in the women's jail. And that actually seems chill. If I ever go to jail, I want to go to women's jail. It, it seems like everyone there mostly gets along. Yeah, they they are. Uh, she actually makes a point in and uh, the I think of the second episode, um, to makes a point to highlight the fact that everybody is very helpful. That when she has to use her her allotted minutes to make phone calls, uh, people that all the other women in there help her out. They figure out they help her figure out how to use the the machine to order food or to make a call or whatever. And but the best part is that uh, when it takes a dark turn is when uh, she. She makes the, the, the harsh, harsh rookie mistake of letting someone use one of her minutes to make a call. And then everybody starts coming up to her being like, uh, hey, uh, can I make a call too? <laughs> and her big dramatic moment in that episode is realizing they're all taking advantage of me because they want to make calls because they know I have minutes. And, and, she, and like that's her – lady, you just got – taken advantage of the way anybody can remove prison from it we all get taken advantage of that way for being naive and dumb there's nothing to do with prison yeah and the i haven't we haven't even mentioned the the part where not only are these people basically reality show contestants on literally the most dangerous reality show of all time but they're also spies like they're fucking informants the the things that they are they say right up front in the show the the things that uh, they they see and hear might lead to actual investigations, and that's fucking shady. It would be one thing if these people were legitimately infiltrating drug cartels, I guess, but they're not. Like they're terrorizing the community. Like Jackie, they embed her in this absurdly violent trailer park community. <laughs> which is just teeming with rednecks who all have guns. And then they send in a camera crew and they're like, hey guys, we're just here uh, filming a documentary about the opioid crisis. Don't mind that new lady who looks like a cop who just showed up. She definitely has nothing to do with what's happening here. And everyone in the community is like, she has a lot to do with what's happening here. We, <laughs> we are poor. We're not stupid. And I'm legitimately impressed no one died on this show. <laughs> because Jackie, Jackie is such a fucking character. At one point, someone directs her to what is clearly the open-air drug market of the city, which almost every city has one, and she's like, I got a tip that there might be drug activity there. And it's like, there's a reason there's no cops there, and it's not because they don't know that place exists. It's because you got to sell drugs somewhere and it's easier to just centralize it so you can just police it that way. And then she just goes into this fucking bridge community and starts like hitting people up to buy heroin. And I don't know how she didn't die. Meanwhile, Richie's tooling around in 
a car that's not a cop car that but looks like a cop car because he's behind the wheel on a fucking walkie-talkie just driving up and down the street and somehow neither of them get shot <laughs> crazy that's that's the power of richie right there stepping on rakes but not getting hit <laughs> <laughs> yeah richie was richie was borderline delusional like at one point he meets a woman named Juliet or Julietta yeah. at mm-hmm. a bar and he's like, Oh, I'm finally getting close to the cartel. And it's like, no, I think you're just kind of racist. Like <laughs> there are people of all shades who sell cocaine in the United States, which by the way, not an opioid, a lot of focus on cocaine for this being under the guise of fighting the opioid crisis. But it becomes this thing where anyone who's Hispanic is presumably a cartel member. And I don't know if that's the message we want to be sending in 2020. <laughs> Walk into a Taco Bell. I, I think we're, I think we're getting close. <laughs> Something I liked early on that they, they dropped in later episodes, but at the beginning, uh, first couple episodes in the trailer park with uh, Mr. AR 15 next to, to Jackie's place. When they're talking about, uh, the streets being crowded, people are coming in looking for meth. So that's how they know when the meth is done being cooked because the streets are empty again. I'm like, well, you just said the meth is cooked right there. It's not coming in from somewhere else. Like you can tell when they're making it in town across the street from you. So that's that's a big clue that I don't think the cartel is behind that particular drug problem in that particular trailer park. And that guy. He's the he's the one that I, I think he voluntarily takes out his AR-15 for no reason other than yeah. to prove he has it. He's wearing like a, a tank top with the Punisher, the, the the Punisher logo on it. Like he is straight up the exact guy you would imagine living in this scenario, living in a meth place, living in the South. Um, and he has, I think, one of the best interactions of the little bit of the show that I saw where his wife is telling the story of his past with drugs and she says, my husband is the best drug user ever. <laughs> and then he he's you could tell he's not used to expressing emotion. So he's trying to express how disappointed he is in her for saying something like that. <laughs> and so he corrects her by saying, I would say I was high functioning. <laughs> and it's I, I loved I, that was such a precious moment to me where they had this complete they were going in opposite directions. And she just waves it off like, all right. Yeah, sure. OK like like clearly he went through some shit and she has no idea how to handle it yeah there's there's a great interaction with that guy near the end also where i don't know if either of you made it this far but at one point there's a shooting behind jackie's trailer and for some reason that for one thing i feel like by the end of this series jackie was back on meth like (laughs) She had all the characteristics. Her face was breaking out like crazy. It was really clear before she started interacting with drug dealers again, because Jackie is a former meth addict also. And by the end, this shooting happens behind her trailer and she gets really fucking paranoid. But then the next night she decides to wait for it to be dark and just goes out to those trails where the shooting happened with a fucking flashlight. Like, what do you think you're going to find? And what she finds is that guy, once again, he's he's out walking his dog because he, like, patrols the community at night. And she's walking with that same AR-15 guy, and she asks about the shooting. And he goes, uh, yeah, they know who you are, and they know why you're here. 
So you might want to leave. And it's like every second of this, these people are on the verge of getting murdered. And A&E as a network is just like, this is great. This is quality television. What doesn't help is that they have the camera crew, which in the first episode, they repeat multiple times. People in these neighborhoods, they've seen camera crews here and they know what they're for and they know not to trust them. Whether it's the prison, whether it's the trailer park, wherever they go, they know if they see a camera crew, there's likely a plant somewhere involved here. Yet the show does nothing to they don't the show doesn't care about that. It, it, it marches on continuing to film under this ridiculous thin guise of oh we're just doing a a documentary about the opioid crisis no you're you're a reality show she's a cop and you're here to bust somebody don't lie to us yeah and it kills me that they keep bringing up the opioid crisis and then never just i mean they actually the only people who get mentioned in reference to heroin in this episode are the black people basically because that's that's one other component we haven't talked about is in between scenes of reality show hopefuls spying on meth users to bust drug cartels. We also get to see the Bullet County Sheriff's Department just harassing the shit out of people they suspect of being drug dealers. And they'll like at like very early on in the episode, they impound a guy's car while his pregnant girlfriend is driving it, I think with a child in the car also, yeah, and they pull her over thinking that she is the alleged drug dealer in question, whose name is Lil Skinny. Seems like he's got a great fucking personality. I would hang out with him. They pull this car over thinking it's him, and it's actually his girlfriend, and instead of being like, all right, get your plate fixed, they decide to prove a point by impounding the car. And I think they arrest the girlfriend, and yeah, it's like on a, on a warrant for uh, missing a court date. Yeah, and it's like you wonder why the community fucking hates you. Like that dude was chill too. Yeah, and there, yeah, she was like perfectly reasonable about it. It wasn't an incident. The guy just decided to be an asshole. And then you also, even before that, you see them execute this traffic stop, and it's like it's racial profiling the television show basically (laughs) like they pull this car over because it's a cadillac and it has four black dudes are 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 driving so they're like "Mm, they're probably drug dealers and like it seems like they might have been right this time but how many of the incorrect traffic stops were filmed that we don't get to see how many times is it a dude who just has a good job and happens to be black. And they're like, mm, looks like a drug dealer to me. Like, you know, that's what the fuck is happening when these cameras aren't rolling because it happened when, it, when they were rolling. And one of the most accidentally entertaining parts of that, because it's not entertaining, it's fucking horrifying that black people put up with shit like that. But these cops are so bad at it. Mm-hmm. I have, Never like they lose, I think, three different suspects in chases, including that first car that they pull over. They go up and talk to the car and then he heads back to check their license and then they just fucking drive off (laughs) and they're not able to catch him. It's like you're in Kentucky. How bad is traffic that you can't keep that pursuit up long? Like, what the fuck? They're so bad at their job. Not only do they not 
catch the guy but there the whole time the camera crew is in the passenger seat filming the the main cop guy and uh, as as the chase is going on and this is a high speed chase on a highway and he's driving with one hand on the wheel and his left arm just like resting on the on the the windshield and he's like looking super casual talking about yeah we're just in a high speed chase whatever i don't really like there's no effort and i think that kind of speaks volumes about the show overall like there's it seems like they they are trying to project this hey we're doing something about it now instead of having one of our guys working with the cartels we're actually putting in an effort but it's like minimum effort no thought they don't care and that that perfectly surmised by that one moment where he's just like kind of leaning to the side in a high-speed chase see that's why it, it seems to me as a casual observer, that's how our, our friend Lil Skinny got wrapped up in this. He admits at one point that he has a drug past, and that's clearly why they targeted him. They needed to make some kind of an example of somebody, right? But, like, when they take his his girlfriend's car, they run the dog through the back. Nothing. They go to his house and raid it, and they find a bag of personally used weed. That's what they arrest him on. And he has a gun, which is a parole violation. But they find nothing else, except for a bunch of cash that apparently he's not allowed to have. Because, you know, he can't adequately explain to their liking why he has that much money, which is a shit reason for uh, railroading some dude. But he was completely cool with it the entire time as well. He's not, he didn't even swear at them, I don't think. No. The cop literally says at one point, I don't care how he goes back to prison as long as he goes back to prison. Like he said that to the camera, which is, uh, you know, that's uh, shady as fuck. That's just bad writing. (laughs) Show don't tell, guys. Show don't tell. And yeah, they, in that moment when they're making Lil Skinny explain why he can afford to own a home and cars, he's like, well, I, I am a business owner. I do run a few stores. And they're like, stores wouldn't make enough money. It's like, how the fuck do you know? Like, I don't think police are supposed to make those decisions in the fucking field. That's insane. My favorite of their sting operations was when they get surveillance footage of another drug dealer named Ghost, who this bumbling fucking cop, who I don't even remember, he's got a weird last name, fuck him. But at one point he goes, we call him Ghost because no one even knew his name. He just went by Muncie for 20 years. It's like, motherfucker, his name's Muncie then. You think Ghost was his birth name and he made up Muncie, you fucking ignorant idiot? And at one point, they have this, there's this uh, traffic camera set up near this body shop that the ghost of Muncie visits very frequently. (laughs) And at one point, he pulls up and hands a package out the window, and this guy just casually takes it and walks back in, and they go, we got him. And they show up and, like, raid this guy's auto body shop, and he's like, well, first of all, that was a biscuit. Uh, he gave me a biscuit from a meal he had been eating and he didn't want the biscuit. And uh, he was like, sure, fucking raid my place. They find a bong, a bong, just a bong. They don't even find weed. They find a bong. And they're like, well, clearly there's some cartel activity happening here. <laughs> and it's like, no, there's some Bob Marley activity happening there. That fucking biscuit cartel is the worst of the bunch, man. <laughs> Just undercutting legitimate businesses in the area trying to sell biscuits. Fucking terrible. <laughs> Fucking biscuit. I lost my shit when I saw when I saw I read 
that that was coming. I knew that was coming at some point, but when I actually saw that, because there was such a lead up too, where the guy's like, I don't know who you're even talking about. He's like, Muncie, you know Muncie, right? I'm like, I don't know anybody named Muncie. And then they show him the video. He's like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, I know that guy. That was a biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Almost had him. <laughs> that's, that's though, like where a lot of the, like you, you said earlier, Adam, that it's, it's funny, but then you correct yourself and it's like, no, it's horrifying. And that's how I feel about it because I felt bad and only the two episodes I watched laughing out loud as often as I did. But I found that like, a lot of the comedy, which is entirely unintentional, is coming from how aspirational they all are and how lofty their goals are and how oh, yeah. pathetically short they fall of coming from, <laughs> of, of meeting them like it's it's so embarrassing that they're trying to change the world and take out those mean old drug cartels that are ruining America and they and it, then it just amounts to a biscuit more often than not it's so pathetic yeah and that's that's the cops Jackie was awful for that like she says um, I wrote down, I think, what she, my mission is to expose how strong a hold cartels have on this community and how all the drugs get to the heart of America. And she says different iterations of that three or four more times. So she has become like Captain America in her own mind in this story. <laughs> she is going to, in the middle of Kentucky, bring a heroin cartel to its knees by asking for, again, I, I hate to bring it up, but asking for a doobie out of a fucking burger joint that how she is connecting those dots man god bless her for having that much confidence in her own abilities because that that is stunning and and lofty as all hell yeah and it's like if you jackie or the fucking police got as close to a drug cartel as you think you're getting either one of you would get murdered like you think the fucking bullet county sheriff is going to come face to face with a drug cartel and they're just going to be like, ah, you got us. No, a sheriff is dying that day. Like Jackie is working toward getting herself killed. And I like, did they discuss that with her first? Were they like, by the way, if you just go in this community and start throwing around the word cartel and like asking for drugs, someone's going to murder you. Like, I, I really want to know what kind of prep work these people undertook before they were just dropped into these situations. It feels like all the prep work was just, here are some hand signals you can make to the camera that will get you out of the situation as fast as we can, and that's pretty much it. Like, I don't think they—it doesn't feel like they gave them clear directions on how to approach people, how to talk to people, how to actually work your way in, how to be an undercover agent and infiltrate organizations and gain in intel. Like, it's, it's all so blatant and so sloppy that— it, it feels like this was all – it feels like homework that was turned in at the last second that was just hastily scribbled down. Like nobody put in a whole lot of effort into this at all. It seems like the point of this, I feel like legitimately it was to get low-level drug dealers, but they needed to wrap it up in a bigger story to make it seem like there's some more pressing need for this to happen. Because, I mean, like cartels cut people's heads off and shit, right? Like mm – -hmm. They're, they're known for being somewhat aggressive in, in how they conduct business. These people were not, as you said, they're not getting close to anyone like that. But you can't just say, you know, the goal of this show is to literally find a guy who will get you a doobie. That's, no one gives a shit about that. But they, you know, they had to wrap it up in something. Right. And I accept that areas where dealing drugs, where that happens just out in the air, 
openly. There's generally a higher level of crime in those areas, but it's not cartel crime. Like, fucking the example I use all the time, El Paso, which could not be closer to the fucking Mexican border. I believe Juarez is on the other side of El Paso. Meanwhile, El Paso is like the third safest city for its size in the United States. Like, yes, cartels do carry out really extreme acts of violence in the countries where they operate. But that is very rarely exported to the United States. This is just a drug issue, and it's a treatment issue. Like, you just have a bunch of poor people who are addicted to drugs in your area, and someone's going to sell them those drugs. And I get that there's obviously going to be violence attached to that, but it's not fucking cartel. No, No one's cutting off the mayor's head and dropping it on the steps of city hall because he banned spice. Like (laughs) there's none of that shit. And it's, it really is problematic. Like as much as I fucking like Lewis is right. It's you laugh at this, but the underlying reasons this show is happening are all fucking horrible. I suspect even the reason those participants are there are probably, probably kind of horrible. Like, I feel like there was some, well, you're facing these charges, and if you participate in this thing, maybe you'll get your charges reduced. Like, I don't know what drew these people to this fucking well, production. Have you have you seen the original series, 60 Days In? No. Well, that's what This is like a spinoff of 60 Days In, which has been on for years now, right? But that show is exclusively focused on the prisons. Like this was this was the evolution where they decided to make it so much more absurd by going into trailer parks and stuff. But the original ones were, and there've been a lot of odd ducks doing that. They would send upwards of a dozen people into prisons to, you know, monitor how contraband gets in. That was ostensibly what the show was about, and whatever else. But I think like I think Muhammad Ali's daughter was a participant in one of those at one point in time. So there were oh. there were people who. Um, I mean, it seems like they were like legitimately socially active people who wanted to understand the failings of the prison system. And that seemed to be kind of a contentious point, like because the prison apparatus was kind of touting its own um, strengths, but also recognizing that it had weaknesses and they were not particularly winning their battle against contraband and drug abuse within the walls of the prison. So they're trying to overhaul the system. That's how it was presented originally. But I think the show, you know, tried to up the drama and glamorize or de-glamorize. I'm not sure which way you want to go with that, how a lot of it worked. Um, but, like, yeah, some people legitimately seemed like they were trying to, to help out. And a lot of them were very antagonistic towards not the prisoners, but the guards and the people running the prisons. Because they blame them for why this stuff is happening, not the prisoners. So, um, at least in that show, I've kind of presented an interesting dynamic in that way. But this Narcoland thing is a whole different ball of wax. I would fuck with celebrity 60 days in Narcoland, I think. <laughs> that that I wouldn't. Like, if you want to send, I don't know, fucking James Franco <laughs> to Moonlight with a Bullet County Sheriff, send him in to try and get to the cartel. Because then, like, if you do celebrities, I'm not going to care if anyone dies, really. Like, you know what else is weird, though, about the the original 60 Days In, um, there was an interview I read with a guy who participated on that show who said he got outed within, like, two days. But, I mean, the show edited it to make it look like, you know, he's a danger, the, the inmates are going to turn on him and stuff. He said that was all bullshit. 
the way they edited it to make it look like that. He said once they figured out who he was, they were super nice to him. They were giving him their minutes to use the phone and commissary and shit like that. He was like a little celebrity in in the pod that he was in, you know. And everyone, he's like, the problem was like these people all need help. They're all addicted to something. Most of them had been addicted to something. They need help. They don't need to be, you know, persecuted further, even when they're behind bars. But that wasn't how the show wanted to play it. So they changed the the narrative when it aired. Yeah, there's a lot of from from the start when the when. Uh, the two people who are embedded in the prisons get in there. You could tell there's a lot of manipulation of footage and audio to make it seem much worse than it is because you'll just it'll be a lot of shots of them standing around or sitting around looking nervous, you know, checking their sides, making sure no one's going to come attack them. And they're meanwhile overlaying audio clips that they've clearly picked up from the many weeks they spent in there and overlaid it to make it seem like all of these uh, really harsh, intense things that the inmates are saying are being directed at them somehow. So it'd be like, oh, I'm going to fuck that dude up or something. And it's like, it sounds so disconnected from everything happening in that shot that it's clear this was manipulated to, it was probably a conversation between two random people, but overlay it with the, the person they planted in. And all of a sudden it seems like they're in mortal danger. And look, eventually they would be because everybody could see through it, but it was clearly, uh, this was intended to, yeah, it's, it's like scared straight. It's like half scared straight, half aspirational police drama. Except their uh, their one big contraband find in I guess in the seven episodes I saw was was a syringe that someone in a roundabout way admitted to just keystring to get into the prison. So I mean I don't think the cartel are putting single syringes <laughs> up guys' asses to get them in to the to the prison, but that seemed to be the only thing that they found the entire time. And again, of course, poor Charlie gets blamed <laughs> for that as well. Is that guy couldn't fucking hide anything about himself if his life depended on it and it i guess it did sort of yeah i really hoped charlie would get high at some point like not with that dirty needle that was extreme yeah it's like fuck it man snort some meth for tv do it for us (laughs) smoke some of that spice paper that i heard about that's see that was clever i thought i never heard of that before oh that was very clever and yeah spice is easy to make which one is that i I think that was an episode i didn't watch see that's that was clever that's no cartel that was a white girl who was apparently making quite a good living by making when she was on the outside she would make spice at home and melt it down to a liquid and i guess you could just soak an envelope with it and it's odorless and colorless and then she would mail stuff to people on the inside and you could just smoke the paper from the envelope and there was no way they could detect it unless they did like a uv scan on it which apparently they're too lazy to do on all the mail that comes into a prison (laughs) so yeah she was making like a thousand bucks a week uh, sending letters that have been saturated in spice to people on the inside. That is very clever. Yeah, I felt bad for her. She was the girl who's uh, who was pregnant. And at one point, Jen, who used to be a reporter, I don't know if she mentioned that during the show, but <laughs> she finds out that this woman is maybe not going to be out of jail in time to deliver her baby. Like the baby might be delivered in jail at which point it would either go to family or a foster home. And she called her family, and they were like, fuck no. And here's the thing. They really demonized that family for making that choice, but we don't know that family's fucking situation. Yeah, it seems harsh, but whoever she called might have just been another her, 
and dropping the kid into those circumstances might not have been great either. And that woman might have recognized that and been like, no, foster home would probably be better. But Jen decides to intervene by paying this woman's bail because she finds out that her bail is only $500. So she's like, fuck it. I used to be a reporter. I can afford that. (laughs) So she calls up a friend on the outside and she's like, hey, just pay this woman's bail and then I'll transfer you the money when I'm back out. And the the friend is like, whoa, 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 wait, her bail is $5,000, not 500. And first of all, I think what happened is Jen just doesn't understand how bail works. Like you have to pay 10%, but your your actual bail amount is actually higher. And then whoever pays it, if that person flees, then you're on the hook for the rest of that money. So she has to go back to this woman and be like, never mind, I'm not, not bailing you out, which why wouldn't you check and make sure you could do it first before getting her hopes up? Like she is in the absolute worst position an expecting mother could be. And you just made it so much worse. I felt so fucking bad for that woman in that moment. And that's like what this whole show is. It's like just the police sending spies into a community of people who are down on their luck and seeing if they can make some arrests out of it. It's fucking gross. And like, I know doing a whole podcast episode about it is kind of against the point. Like, I would rather the show not exist, but I don't know. I couldn't just not say anything when I saw it. It's crazy. Uh, it's an enraging show. It's it's uh, it's just so toxic, the whole thing. It's it's the worst of, of reality TV. It's the worst of... A, of American police forces and the, the stupid war on drugs. It's the worst of everything that it is all encapsulated in one thing that seems to be kind of the whole show. It just seems to be bumbling around and trying to make drama out of things that are either not dramatic at all or maybe even extremely boring and uninteresting or things that aren't nearly as big and as grand grandiose as they want you to think they are. Uh, like, they spend so much time on so many things that are not opioids that are not the drugs that they're there to uh that they're there to take out that it just feels like you're just wasting your time that everybody kind of knows this is going nowhere uh but we're gonna keep on going because we got like a 12 episode order or whatever to fulfill yeah and it's frustrating that it never like it it does it feels like propaganda to me because it it feels like it's presenting all of these legitimate problems like drugs are very much a problem in bullet county and all over the place especially opioids uh crime is a problem poverty is a problem and they take all of these problems and they sell it as cartels that's why it's happening once we once we get those dirty cartels out of business all this other stuff goes away and it's like no the hole that will be left by eliminating cartels will just be filled by someone else from a different country or by the fucking CIA. Who knows? But like this is it's it's irresponsible to paint all of these issues that are legitimate problems in this country. Like what the fuck do cartels have to do with a lack of AA meetings for people who get out of jail? Like it seems like we could whip up a a solution to that problem without getting the cartels involved at all. And it might even be the better first step than sending Jackie to a fucking Whataburger with a cap gun and a beeper. 
<laughs> to pretend that she's goddamn Magnum P.I. I don't know about you, but I feel safer knowing Jackie's on the front lines asking for doobies <laughs> at burger joints. Does anyone have any final thoughts on 60 Days in Narcoland? Yeah, don't watch it. <laughs> I'd agree with that. I'm going to be honest. I got to finish and find out if Charlie survives because I don't know right now. He's on the on the edge, and I need to know if they murder that man in jail. There is a reunion special oh, that God. I didn't watch, but only because it doesn't include any of the inmates in the jail. Like, get Charlie and that bald guy he was <laughs> locked up with in a room together and let them talk. That's a that reunion guy, special I'd watch. That guy needs his own show because he did some detective work. From a prison yeah. cell to that was impressive to figure <laughs> out that Charlie was not who he said he was. And it seemed the show makes it seem like he did it over the span of like maybe two days or something that he completely figured it out. It was impressive. That guy deserves his own show. Yeah, because he was like, well, if this guy's really an inmate, his charges would have been filed through the state. We can look that up. Let me look it up. And there is no record. That's <laughs> indicative like, yeah. of the laziness of the whole show that a guy in jail <laughs> could figure out that you had so poorly structured your entire premise here that it was bullshit. He did it from a jail telephone. I was sure that at some point something was going to pop up on the screen and be like, we were ready for this. We falsified a record and put it in the system. Don't worry. <laughs> mm -hmm. And nope. Yeah. It's crazy how like all my years as a writer, I've, I've gotten used to the idea of, of of like the way you write is you write some stuff and then you ask yourself a question that pushes you into the next phase of ideas it's constantly asking questions and answering them asking answering whether it requires research whether it's just something you're imagining whatever you're posing yourself questions these people never at any point ask themselves hey what should we do if somebody makes even the faintest attempt to figure out if this person is actually a cop or not or is actually a, a criminal they didn't think beyond that and it was it's the most obvious question there could possibly be in the scenario and they didn't make a single attempt to work around it or to cover their tracks it's so lazy yeah that part's insane like it's oh yeah we got a safe word well so the fuck who's even fil who's gonna save you the person filming you he's not a cop <laughs> He's a production guy who works for A&E. Some film school grad. But hey, this show made it to the air. A&E loves their cop drama. Yeah, A&E. They should probably change that name. They've been tragedy porn for a long time. Like, even since Intervention, I believe, was on A&E. Like, that network is just about entertainment based on people's suffering. Yeah. Which I guess is what art is these days. <laughs> Certainly what this episode's been. <laughs> Woo! Good times. Great. So I think that's our episode. This was fun. Don't watch this show. Uh, write a letter <laughs> to your congressman and tell him to s shut it down if there's another season in production. Uh, you know, do all the things. Uh, what do we have to plug before we get out of here? We have a new subscription service, unpopsnetwork.supercast.tech. Go check that out. We also changed up the Patreon levels. So go look at those if you're interested. Patreon.com slash unpops. Or you can find links to all of that shit and our free episodes at unpops.com slash subscribe. Uh, Lewis, you got anything to plug? <laughs> uh, no. 
I don't. <laughs> Welcome For to the party. Not anymore. <laughs> For things that we discussed off air, I do not have anything to plug. <laughs> Ian, how about you? Not a thing. Well, I'm just going to plug more stuff then. Yeah. I don't have shit to plug either. I basically quit Twitter. So if you go to my Twitter at Adam Todd Brown and look at my pinned tweet, those are the places you can follow me going forward. Fuck <laughs> Twitter. My God. Uh, all right. Let's get the fuck out of here. Lewis, say goodbye. Bye, everybody. Ian, say goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. We love you. Bristol Street!